So tonight, we're going to be in the New Testament, or this morning we're in the Old Testament. So we're going to see a little bit of difference here. Obviously, we're not doing sacrifices, things like that, that they did in the Old Testament. We don't have a priest. We're not in the tabernacle. There's not an Ark of the Covenant back here or anything like that. So it's a little bit different. So now we're going to try to take the knowledge that we gain, the different things that we learned this morning, and studying a little bit of the Old Testament and bring that forward as we look into the New Testament to see how that relates, especially in the book of Hebrews and different passages like that. So the first passage that I want to turn to is 1 Corinthians 6.19. Okay, because we don't have a priest that we go to. We don't have to bring ourselves before one person. There's not one temple that we all attend to bring a lamb or something to cover for our sins, okay? And as believers here, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Okay, you are now the temple, and we're going to see that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. So Paul says here, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we see here that you are now the temple. You house the Holy Spirit, a part of the Trinity. And that is an amazing thing, something that we a lot of times struggle to grasp. How amazing that is that we can have the Spirit of God living inside of us, guiding us day by day and minute by minute. But you also see what comes along with that. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay, we're going to touch on this same verse. We'll come back to it later on here tonight and talk more about what that means specifically. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now the old system has been replaced. That has been fulfilled. When Christ died on the cross and rose again, he fulfilled that old covenant. He was that final sacrifice. And that's why we don't have sacrifices here. That's why we don't do that anymore, because Jesus paid for those sins, past and future and present. Okay, he said himself on the cross, it is finished. Okay, it's done by faith alone. Okay, your sins are forgiven. We see here that now he is our high priest. We don't have priests from the tribe of Levi here serving in one temple somewhere, okay? Because we now have Christ, who he has risen from the dead, has ascended to heaven to sit by his Father and intercede for us. Okay, we see here it says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That is what this whole topic is about, is approaching God. And we see here with confidence we're supposed to draw near to the throne of grace. So how do you approach God? How do you talk to God? 
What's that called? Prayer. Prayer. Okay, so we're supposed to approach God with this confidence, with prayer. Okay, and that's you hear that a lot. Oh, well, you should pray. Pray every day. But what does that mean to pray? What exactly is that? What is entailed, encompassed in prayer? And that's kind of the first thing that we're really going to dig into here. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. So it says in Hebrews, draw near to God with a confidence. And now here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. So that's the confidence that it's talking about. When you come before God in prayer, and you're asking things for his glory, things that if he answers, it will give more glory to God, that is what God will answer. You can have great confidence that God will answer those prayers because this is going to give Him more glory. Okay, that's what this is talking about, praying according to God's will when you hear that. So you have the whole other side of that coin then. So you have this side of the coin to where you're praying according to God's will and He's answering prayer because it gives more glory to Him. Now you're going to have the other side of the coin. What happens when God doesn't answer prayer? And why doesn't He answer prayer? We touched on this in Sunday school with some of the people that were there, so you guys will have a little bit of a head start on it. But in James chapter 4, is we're going to see that other side. So turn with me to that back a little bit, a few books. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. So James is writing this to the 12 tribes in dispersion as they're being persecuted. And he's giving them a lot of very practical instructions on how to go through trials, prayer, all these different things and how to live a life. Okay, how, to live a, how to walk the Christian walk. So it's really not a super hard to understand book. It's pretty straightforward. Okay, he says it in easy ways. You don't have to go back to the Greek to understand every little thing for this book. It's very straightforward. So in James chapter 4, we're going to read the first four verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So now you have that whole other side of the coin of prayer. You have all these fights, you have all these quarrels, you're doing all these things, and you're acting on them, and it says, well, because you do not ask. And then James goes on from that to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. This is talking about when you're praying for things just because it would make your life easier, or things that you desire just for yourself. You have no intention on using it for God or for His glory. These are just things for your own selfishness. That's why he says, you adulterous people. That's a strong statement. You don't just walk around (laughs) saying that to people. So that's how you know that this is a very serious thing that we're talking about here. Because everything we're going to do, and we'll turn this passage later, you're supposed to do everything for God's glory. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason we're here. That's the whole point of approaching God is for His glory, is it not? 
So as you pray, as this is being introduced and going forth with a confidence before the throne of grace, before Christ in prayer, because that's essentially what you're doing when you're praying. You're before the throne. You're talking to Christ. So that's a very serious thing. It's not something to just take lightly. But also when you pray, you should always have in mind God, His glory. Okay, because it's all about God. It always has been and it always will be. Okay, it's not about us. When we start thinking about us, we're setting ourselves up as idols, aren't we? We may not have wooden statues sitting around our house that we bow down to, but you know, we have a TV, we have a computer, we have music, we have, oh boy, we have sports with the Olympics. Everyone watches the Olympics. That's like a whole, it's like a national religion almost. People watching the Olympics, different things like that. The Super Bowl. I remember I go to St. Scholastica in Duluth here. It's a smaller, private, Catholic school or whatever. They actually changed their mass time for the Super Bowl. Actually, not for the Super Bowl, when the Vikings were playing the game before that. They changed their mass time and said, mass will return after the Vikings game. School, go Vikes. What a joke. The world we live in today, are you kidding me? You're going to change your mass time. But Catholicism, that's the way, that's the truth, isn't it? All glory to the church, huh? And to yourself. You see where the focus is there? It's on football. It's on sports. It's not on God. Not even a little bit. They've lost sight of the whole purpose here. The whole point of the Bible. This tells a story about God and His glory. <laughs> about His character. That's what the Bible is. And it's a beautiful thing. And you have to look for that. And it just pops out as you're reading it. But when you start making these little compromises to for your own desires, just to satisfy your, your flesh. That just gets deeper and deeper, and that can never go in the right direction. So with that, I'm going to set this up. I have my whiteboard now, so I can't complain about not having it. Anywho, so there's this thing that my pastor actually showed me a while back here for prayer. <clears throat> It's called the Acts Prayer Model. Has anyone heard of this? In a show of hands, who knows what this is? Okay, one, two, three, yes. Cool. So we'll start with the first one here. It is adoration. Okay, this is an easy-to-remember model, and the reason I brought the whiteboard up is so I'm not just saying it, so you can see it, and if you're taking notes, you can write it down, because notes are good. So we have adoration. We have 2 Samuel 7.22. I'll even put that up here. 2 Samuel 7.22. I hope you guys can read my writing. So let's turn to that. 2 Samuel 7.22. So we're going to kind of go through one reference for each one of these, just so you have an example of what each part means for this model of prayer. Now, this is not saying that this is the only way you can pray or repeat after me or anything like that. It's just a good model with different aspects to keep in mind. These aspects are pulled from the prayers that we have in the Bible. Okay, we have a lot of different prayers recorded in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, especially one by Jesus himself in John 17. It's an amazing passage. 
So we have these. They're there, so they must be there for a reason, right? So you should pay attention to them. Use, those, use them as examples. So 2 Samuel 7.22 Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Okay, so this is David praying. He's saying, God, you're great. There is none like you. There is no God like you. Okay, that's adoration. You're adoring God for his character, his qualities. And if you're struggling to find qualities of God, you can just read Psalms because it just goes on and on with praises. It's a great book to start with if you just can't think of different qualities to adore God for. Okay, so that's kind of the first aspect. The second one is confession. So turn to 1 John 1, 8 through 10. say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so we see right there at the start of verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You see how it ends? If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. See how it's kind of saying the same thing? So when we emphasize ourselves here in this culture, at least, when you're texting, you go all capitals or you'll raise your voice or things like that. But back in this time, for the Jews and Greek, when they wanted to emphasize a point, they would repeat it. That's why whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, you should take note of that because it's something serious. He's repeating himself to emphasize a point. So you see this here. In 1 John also, you see this repetition here. So it's emphasizing this point, bringing this out. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. Because what, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, that's not saying there's three specific parts. That's just saying in totality. Love God with every fiber of your being, every piece that you have. That is the greatest commandment, right? Can any of us do that perfectly all the time? So therefore, there, there's your sin. So everyone here has sin. No one just works their way until they just live a life without sin. That's impossible. It can never happen. So that's why we have this up here with confession. That's why he says, First John, very plain and simply, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And then it goes on in verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are to confess our sins. Okay, because Christ is faithful. He's there sitting on the throne of mercy interceding for us. Okay, and it's an amazing thing that we have, that we can pray directly to Christ, that we don't have to go to a priest or pray to Mary or different things like that, okay? It's an amazing gift that we have, and it's an essential part of prayer is confession. Okay, you don't want to keep building up that wall between you and God, and especially not knowing it. So something that goes right along with confession is also self-examination too. 
You need to spend some time reflecting, examining yourself to see what you need to confess. Because a lot of times things can just come up or whatnot, and then you'll look back on a day or a week and you'll just be surprised at what you've done. And wondering, how did I not catch myself earlier? So spend time examining yourself, especially with this aspect. So the next part, with the T, is Thanksgiving. And not the holiday. If anyone was confused by that. But Thanksgiving, this is one of my favorite aspects of prayer. Something I think that gets left out a lot of times. I think a lot of people leave out the giving thanks aspect. So for this passage, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name okay continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually be praising him be thanking him turn to Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 through 7 this is actually going to cover our last point of supplication also So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So do not be anxious about a single thing. That goes on to that. In everything, in every single thing, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So you have both these aspects. Okay, in every single aspect of your life, you should be bringing everything to God in prayer. That supplication, prayer request, okay, asking for things. But it doesn't say just ask, 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 and ask, and then when you're done asking, ask a little bit more too, because why not? Okay, it says with thanksgiving. In everything you bring before God, it should be with thanksgiving. There is always something to thank God for, and if you can't think of anything, you can thank Him for your salvation. You could spend the rest of your life 24-7 thanking God that he saved you from eternity in hell and you would still not be able to thank him enough or praise him enough for that gift. Because it is something that none of us deserved. Not, not a single person on this planet could ever deserve what Christ did on the cross for us, what he endured. So that is a gift that you can always be thankful for if you're struggling to find something. But man, there's always, especially with where we live, I mean, just hearing the testimony from Bob here about out in the jungle, I mean, you just be thankful for that. We don't have to go through a lot of that stuff, you know? We can be here. We can be comfortable, whatnot. We can attend church in here, and it's not a struggle. We're not really persecuted. I mean, we're in northern Minnesota. Minnesota nice. You're not really persecuted a ton. In different aspects, you may be, but... So we can be thankful for that. 
But with that, with that being comfortable and that security we have here, we should be going out even more to reach the people because we have so much, so much more resources, different things that we can go out and do that, freedom to do that also. So with having more of that security and different things comes more responsibility as you're put over more, therefore you're responsible for more. You can be held accountable for more. That's why James says, don't all desire to be teachers because you're held to greater condemnation. Okay, because you're responsible for more people, the people that you teach and lead also. So with that, that is just kind of a basic <clears throat> model of prayer, different things to keep in mind when you're praying. But one thing that kind of stands out to me in the New Testament is that when Jesus was with the disciples, the apostles, at different times he would wake up early or he would escape quietly to go out and pray. He would go find a quiet place and pray for hours, pray all night. Okay, if Jesus, the Son of God, yes, he did give up some of his glory to come and become a man, but if he had to go out and spend hours on hours in prayer, how much more should we be praying? If Christ had to go spend much time in prayer and find a quiet place to prayer, or a quiet place to pray, I don't think 30 seconds before a meal, three times a day, is going to quite cover it. It's not going to get much done. Okay, you're supposed to constantly be praying. Pray, continue, pray without ceasing that verse. It's there for a reason. Okay? It also says to give thanks, because this is the will of Christ in you. Is to be giving thanks at all times. So keep in mind those two things there. So I was going to touch on communion a little bit, but we touched on that this morning in 1 Corinthians 11. How people at the church in Corinth, they were abusing that, and how it was causing them death and even illness. Then we had the passage about examining yourself before that, so that you don't eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Okay, it was very clear how serious that is. It's a great picture in them. It's awesome that we can do that together as brothers and sisters, but it is also something that's very serious that you need to be examining yourself before you partake in that. Because we have that warning in 1 Corinthians. So the next, the next aspect that we're going to go into is going to be giving. This is another way that we come before God that we worship is by giving, offering, things like that. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. So you have in the Old Testament, too, for just a little bit of context. And this is talked about in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 36, 20 through 21, and also in Exodus 23, 11. We don't have time to turn there, so we, so we won't. But Israel was required to leave their farmland fallow for one year. They had farmed for six years, and they were supposed to leave it fallow for a year, the seventh year, to rest, leave the land to rest. Okay, that's what they were supposed to do, give that year back. But they didn't do that. They just continually went on sowing and reaping every year, not giving back to God, not leaving that land fallow, and kept going on and on and on and building that up. This is something that my pastor back home brought up to me when I got the job here. He's like, so are you tithing what you make? And we were talking about that. He's like, remember what happened to Israel? They didn't leave the ground fallow. Okay, they went into captivity for 70 years. 
Okay, God was getting that time back by having their entire land destroyed and taking them into captivity. So they could not sow and reap the land. So he made that point known to me to, to be giving. Okay, but you're supposed to give cheerfully out of the right heart. There's that balance between giving with a pure heart and also actually giving. Okay, there's that. Sometimes it sways back and forth depending on where we are, but you have both of those hand in hand. That's where this passage is going to come into play. Second Corinthians 9, 6-8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So you're supposed to give cheerfully. You should want to give back to God the things that he's blessed you with, the money that he's blessed you with, whatever that may be. Maybe he's blessed you with more time, different things. You should give some of those things back to glorify God. That's this whole aspect of giving. Okay, you should be giving with the right heart set. You shouldn't be giving so others around you know that you're giving. I know I went to a choir concert first class because we have some friends in there. It's me, Lisa, and Andy went, and it was at uh, Our Lady the Rosary Church, and they had these cards. It was an electronic giver card, okay, that you put in the offering plate as it passed by, and on the back of it it said, "Place this in the offering plate to let others know you give." Once again, do you see where the focus is at? Put this in so that others know that you're giving. That is the wrong heart set, the wrong mindset. That's simple idolatry. You're putting yourself up on a pedestal, trying to look good amongst others, raising yourself up. You're placing yourself as an idol before God. And we may see those as extreme examples, but we may do that all the time. We may think that our time is better than yours. Or, oh, I can't really do this in the church, or I don't want to do this because, you know, it just takes too much time. You're putting your time, therefore, above God's. And the first misconception is you think it's your time. It's not your time, it's God's time. We have Ezekiel chapter 16, the whole chapter, talks about how God saw Israel, raised Israel up, adorned Israel, gave them everything they had, and they took God's gold, everything that was God's, and they made idols out of it. Okay, it's a great passage showing how everything is God's. Okay, your time that you may think is yours is not your time. God gave you that time. Okay, so don't ever get in the mindset that this is my stuff and I can do with it what I want. Because that's just deception. That's just a misconception also. So you should really definitely be giving back to God the things that he's blessed you with because he's blessed us with so much. I know being in this church, being in this country, the freedoms that we have, the amount of privileges and things that I can have personally is just a blessing compared to what other people have to go through. So you should be keeping that in mind. So now we're going to go into church, what we're doing here, coming together. Okay, we're going to briefly turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20. We'll try to go through this quicker rather than slower. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 20. 
So this is going to talk about preparing your heart. We talked about this in Sunday school a little bit once again, but it fits in perfectly with this. Before you approach God, you should prepare your heart. You see here in Hebrews 10, 19 through... Uh, we'll go through... Where at? Now we'll just read till it covers it. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus talking about prayer, entering into that. The curtain was torn. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Okay, the curtain was torn by his sacrifice. See how essential it is to know the Old Testament, these sacrifices, know Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, these books. Because then you can actually understand what we're reading here. And that's why we went through that in the morning. So verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So as we draw near to God, this should already have been done. You should not come here, spend the first half hour singing, and spend that time preparing your heart to worship. You should come here already prayed, Okay, already spent your time in the scriptures and be ready to worship as soon as you step in these, these doors here at the church. Okay, don't think that just because it's Sunday, I'll do my Bible reading at church because it's Sunday. That's what I used to think when I was a kid. It's like, I mean, I didn't read my Bible as a kid in the first place, but I always thought like, oh, it was Sunday, I'll just do it then because it's church. Okay, that is so wrong to do that. Okay, you should be more prepared to come into this building than you are in other times of your life. You should come in. You should spend more time in prayer for the congregation, for your fellow brothers and sisters, that you will come here ready to learn, ready to truly worship God in song. Okay, just the act of singing the words doesn't really get it done. You have to have that heart set. Okay, that you're actually praying these words. Think about the words that you sing. There's a reason that we sing hymns here and not a lot of the newer songs. Because a lot of the newer songs is just vain repetition and it's just not sound doctrine and it's absolute garbage. Okay, there's a reason that we stick to the hymns because it's sound doctrine. Okay, so think about the words as you're singing them. as like a prayer. Come in ready for that. So turn to... Let's see, where do I want to go here? Because there's a lot of... Okay, go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Try to pick out the essentials as we're finishing up. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So you see, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices are a form of worship, and you see that? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, this is a weighty passage. You're supposed to present yourselves. Okay, we saw in that first passage we looked at in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that you are not your own. You are the temple, you house the Holy Spirit. Yes, but you are not your own. You were bought with a price. 
It says you went from slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness. Okay, now, now that you're saved and you're freed from sin, you're not just your own person to do whatever you want. You can't just live your life however you want. That's not what this is about. And if that is your mindset, then you might have to examine yourself on whether you ever had that true change or not, that true repentance, that true saving faith. Because if your mindset going into it was, yeah, when I was three, year old, three years old or four years old, I just repeated this prayer after the evangelist that came in, and now I can live my life however I want. If you can find that wording in Scripture and show it to me, I'd be very surprised, because trust me, it's not in there. Nowhere did Jesus just walk around and say, oh, I fed you this bread, this miracle, now repeat after me quickly so I can get you into the kingdom of God. That is not what it says. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, turn from your sins. Okay, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices aren't fun. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, take up your cross daily and follow me. He picked up his cross, he walked it up the hill, placed it down, and he was crucified upon it. So if you're truly picking up your cross daily and following Christ, you are crucifying yourself daily. You're to death your own passions, your own desires. You're saying, no, it doesn't matter what I want, I have to do what God wants for His glory. That's what this is talking about. You should, your life should be characterized by a life of worship to God based on how you're living, constantly repenting from your sins. It's not just a one-time repentance either. There should be a daily repentance. Every day you wake up, you should be thinking on examining yourself, different sins, how you can turn from that. And you should want to turn from that because you should hate sin. That's not to say that you're without sin or you'll ever get to that point. But you should have that mind. That's what repentance means in its most basic form. When you go back to the Greek, it just means mind change. It's as simple as that. Have a mind change towards sin. And that will bear fruit. You're not saved by the fruit. You're not saved by works. But if you are truly saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you will be different. And that will show. That's why Christ said to look for fruit. Okay, how do you know a false teacher? You look for fruit. See how they live their life. If they live it according to Scripture and how they're supposed to and they're living it for Christ, chances are they're probably not a false teacher. Okay, but if they're living it for their own selfish desires and passions, chances are... They are a false teacher. So with this living as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, okay, your spiritual worship, what is the motivation for that? Okay, look up in the very start of verse 1. By the mercies of God to present yourself as a living sacrifice. That is the motivation. God's mercy. He saved you from eternity in hell. He saved you from your sins, something you could never do on your own. That mercy is your motivation. You should want to live the rest of your life trying to give everything that you can back to God, giving Him all the glory physically possible because of His mercy that He had on you. That should be your motivation. Okay, every day you should wake up and just be like, it is an amazing day. One day, I'm just another day closer to spending time with Christ, to seeing Him face to face, and praise God for that. Mm-hmm. And that should make you, you should wake up and you should be ready to go, ready to serve the kingdom, okay? ready to push the kingdom forward, to witness, to evangelize, whatever that may be for that day. God calls every person to something different. Okay, not everyone's going to go over to the jungles. It'd be neat if everyone did, but that's just not going to happen. Okay, Not everyone's going to be a pastor. 
Okay, not everyone's going to do all these different things. God has you in an area where he wants you. Okay, look for those opportunities. Trust me, if you pray for opportunities to witness, I don't think God's going to say no to that prayer. He'll probably make those opportunities. Okay, so be looking for those. And that's why we have a lot of tracks back there. Because if you're not very familiar with the gospel, or you're just not a great speaker, or you just don't know how to present it well, that's why you have those. We have those resources here, so you can hand people those and say, I may be really bad at explaining this, but this will do a lot better job. Okay, but then you read that. So use the resources that you have. I think one of the biggest reasons, I guess as we end here, because we are running out of time, but one of the biggest reasons that we don't live our lives as a living sacrifice, that we don't just give it all up to God is because we're scared. You know, we like to have things under control. I know with myself in college, with different assignments and stuff, I like to get ahead, different things like that, have things under my control. And when you live your life fully for God, you're giving up complete control to Him. That's what that means, okay? That's how salvation happens, too. That's how God saves you. He the Holy Spirit softens your heart, leads you to realize that you can do nothing on your own, that you need a Savior. If there is no fear of God, and what I mean by fear of God is if you think that you can just do things on your own, if you think you're fine, there's zero chance you're going to put your complete faith in a Savior, in Jesus, for your salvation. So if you think you're fine on your own, the chances of you actually being saved is basically zero. So you need to realize that, hey, I can't do this on my own. It can't be my, by, by my plan. As we saw that this morning, the specific plan for the tabernacle, for the lamp, all these different things, for, to the priest garments, to the breastplate. We saw all those things that had to be specific to God's plan. It's the same thing here. It can't be your plan. You have to give that up. And that's when you approach God every day. When you're living as a sacrifice, you need to give it up. Because you are not your own. You are God's. You are God's child. Submit to His will. Okay? And don't be scared to give things up because, trust me, you'll have such a joy. You may think you like something now that's of the world, but then when you give it up, God will give you such a joy that you won't even miss that thing. It's an amazing thing. It really is. I remember one of my co-counselors at camp, she'd always tell me, Wyatt, you'll never regret giving it all to Christ. She said, you'll never regret that. However much you give, you're never going to look back and be like, boy, I wish I would have kept that. Because you'll have such a joy in doing what you were created to do. So with that, I'm going to end there with these different things. So try to keep that in mind when it comes to approaching God today. You have prayer, which is essential. You have this basic model. And study it out. Find, grab a concordance. Find the word prayer and look at every single reference that it has there. Look at all the examples of prayers in the Bible. Study those things. See how they prayed. Because they're recorded for a reason. Okay, look at those. Read John chapter 17. See how Christ prayed. Okay, that gives you kind of an idea of what he does for us daily. Okay, with offering, with tithing, different things like that. Give cheerfully. Get out of that mindset that this is your stuff. Get into the mindset that it's all God's stuff, okay? And when it comes to church, coming here, Boy, establish your hearts beforehand. Prepare your hearts beforehand. Don't wait to get here than to try to sit in the back or something and pray right when you get here. Do that before. Come ready. Come prepared. Okay, to hear the word of God preached. To sing unto the Lord. To make a joyful noise. Okay, 
Come prepared to do those things. And then with living that life of constant worship, okay? Give up the things that you think you need, things of the world that aren't giving glory to God. Give those up. And if you're here tonight and you've never put your faith in Christ, that is something that you need to definitely consider. Okay? Because you cannot get to heaven on your own. The only thing that will get you there is faith in Christ, His death and resurrection. Okay? And that, you have to give up complete control for that. Because you can't do it on your own. But it is a joyful thing. It really is. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, the time that we have here, Lord, just the gathering of believers and for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son sending him to die for us, Lord, to pay for our sins so that we can go to heaven, that we can spend eternity worshiping you, not just on this earth. We thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for just this building we have, the church, Lord, where we live, the security that we have to freely worship you, Lord. We keep in our minds and prayers, our brothers and sisters across the globe that are persecuted, Lord. Just keep them faithful for your name, Lord, as they do what they do for Christ. Lord, I just pray for all of us here, myself included, as we go on from here, that this won't just leave us as we exit these doors, Lord, that we will be doers of the word, not just hearers, as James says. Lord, help us to apply these different things and to be serious about it, to take things seriously when it comes to approaching you. So, Lord, I just pray as we go through this week that we'll keep our minds focused on you constantly, Lord. Live a life of worship and prayer. And, Lord, I just pray that all things go to your glory this week. In Jesus' name, amen.